Have you had your soup today? And the cold, crisp taste of Coke is so satisfying, it keeps me from eating something else that might really add those pounds. You guys, hi, my name is We're Summer We're put the earth in hearth. <laughs> and the her in hearth. And hearse. So now we're making... This segment is dead. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Summer Yeager. <laughs> and I'm here with my beautiful co-host, Joy. And the thing y'all should know about Joy. She's looking at me right now, <laughs> like looking me up and down like, what is she wearing? You're wearing a shirt I bought you. I am. My To Kill uh-huh. a Mockingbird shirt. Yes. Um, I have not read that in a few years, which is not like me. I was really it's thinking. Not like me. I used I, to read I it I go year. through phases where I'm like, I really want to read some classics. Yeah. And maybe that's hard that with the classics, I feel like I read. Mm-hmm. I've read like. I go back to the same ones instead of mm-hmm. reading the new ones that I didn't read that mm-hmm. I want to read. Mm-hmm. I typically, I used to read probably like the first five or six years out of high school. I read To Kill a Mockingbird every summer just because I really enjoyed it. Right. I haven't lately. and um, But I did read my first Stephen King novel over the weekend. Oh, you like, shot through it. All 500 pages. Yeah just good read it and i never finished a stephen king novel before like i've started a bunch yeah um but you finally found one that really spoke yeah to you i had to finish it so that was fun it was fun to read just be like really in a novel for a weekend yeah i guess it took me a week but i got most of the reading done yeah during the super bowl so we've been doing um <laughs> that was when i did it yeah i really didn't even i had been hearing about the super bowl for several sundays and i was like it's got to be one of these sundays <laughs> it's gotta be i mean it's, it's gotta be one of them like it would be like a thursday uh-huh. and i'd be like it's probably this sunday i don't know <laughs> and then and then i wouldn't remember until like the next wednesday and i'd be like oh i guess maybe it didn't happen and i was or like well it? it's gotta be this sunday right <laughs> And then eventually it was like, oh, no, it is definitely this Sunday. Yeah. I have a weird relationship with the Super Bowl. And by that, I mean my 10th birthday. The Super Bowl happened on my 10th birthday. And it oh, really. Yeah, because you're. you're uh, end of January. You're Super Bowl centric. Yeah. And it really. um, It really just made me hate the Super Bowl because everybody was so into the Super Bowl. Yeah. And I was like, but. Literally, I just got my second digit in my age, so why don't you guys care more about that? You're like, <laughs> like we don't we don't know who's gonna win out of these two <laughs> teams, but we know I won for sure. <laughs> why are we not celebrating that? Yeah, so that's my feelings about the Super Bowl and novels and Georgia just burst awake. I saw that, and it was really cute. And I love She's that's a sweet girl. You're wearing one of those, like, that's a necklace specifically designed for her to chew on, right? Yes. Yes. Nicoletta gave it to me. Doesn't surprise me. Our sweet friend 
and listener. Shout out to Nicoletta. Wonderful book club member. Yes. Friend. And if you ever go over to her house, she will give you gifts. She's the best. She really is. I love her. Anyway, well, that's, that was my thing about you. You're welcome. <laughs> You're wearing a shirt I, I bought you. Was. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> there we go. Um, well, you're right. I am Joy, and I'm here with my beautiful co-host, Summer. And some of you may know this thing, because usually it's the thing some of you may not know about Summer. But <laughs> the thing some of you definitely know about Summer, but some of you don't. Is that Summer's gonna have a baby? I am. I'm How do you feel so about it? So pregnant. <laughs> Is it still? Uh, has it soaked in? No, I took another pregnancy test last night. <laughs> You're like that was not. That can't be real. <laughs> um, you know, it's it, what's funny is. People keep asking me how I'm feeling. How are you feeling? How are you feeling? Because, uh-huh. you know, obviously it's very early. I'm in my first trimester. Some people get sick. Some people. <clears throat> right. Whatever. Normally by this point, this is my third pregnancy. And normally by this point, I'm pretty horribly nauseous in the mornings. Uh-huh. And I haven't been. That is great. Which is why I took a pregnancy test last night. Because I was just like, this is really weird. This isn't like me. Yeah. You know, my biggest complaint is that I can't think straight and I'm super tired. Yeah. Which is also typical first trimester. But anyway, so this morning I, this, when I tell you the story, it's going to sound fake. Um, because as it happened, I thought this is not happening. But so this morning, four o'clock in the morning, I'm standing in my bathroom and, you know, getting dressed, brushing my hair, brushing my teeth. All the usual stuff you do. You hear that, guys? Four o'clock. Four o'clock. That was in Las Vegas. In Las Vegas this morning. And um, I thought, like, I just started praying. And I was like, Lord, it's so great that, you know, as tired as I am and as foggy as my brain is, like, thank you so much for, you know, the lack of nausea. Like, I feel really great. And then immediately I started retching. <laughs> And broke into a cold sweat. Oh, no. And had to throw myself over the side of the bathtub. And became very sick. (laughs) What the heck? (laughs) Well, sometimes that's... Honestly, the timing... That's how things work out sometimes. The timing was hysterical. I was laughing through it because I was like that... Like I said, as I'm telling you the story... And his purpose in that may have only been... (laughs) That you found <laughs> hilarity and joy in the fact that you were sick. Oh my goodness! Because what other? How else do you achieve happiness? It was ridiculous. But throwing up, it got weirder. So, so then I'm sick and I'm sweating. I've got like the cold. I've got chills. I've got nausea. Now oh, I'm weird. when so I not even really like morning sickness. Just like it was bad. So now I'm literally on my knees looking over my sink, my counter sink, trying to put my mascara on because I feel too ill to stand. (laughs) And I was like, well, I got to finish. I got to get out the door. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It's like, of course, the one day, you know, we have a guest and I have to be here at a certain time. Right. (laughs) So anyway, so I'm just I'm laughing and praying. I, I'm trying not to wake my husband up because he's sleeping like 15 feet away. Not that an earthquake would wake him. <laughs> he would just think it's the washer and go back to sleep. <laughs> That's an inside joke. Um, so anyway, if you want an explanation, that happened. Yeah, just that. Yeah. 
<laughs> or just you should listen to more of our episodes. But anyway, um, so that happened and that took about 10 minutes and like as quick as it came. It was just gone and you felt fine. It afterwards. left like as quick as it came. There was an, there like literally it was like it came on in a snap. It happened and then it was over. And there was like one other brief, you know, five minute period this morning that I felt nauseous. But it was just so funny, the timing of it and how quickly it came on. And then the fact that it ended so quickly and it was just anyway, that's <laughs> that's my hilarious story. Just one of those little just moments. One of those things that, that I, us ladies have with ourselves was in the bathroom at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Emotionally, a lot of things happen in the bathroom. Throwing ourselves. I wonder if it's that way for guys. I don't know. I don't think it is. Probably not. Emotions? <laughs> they have bears well, to stab. Stab? <laughs> you know, I always say the best way to protect yourself from a bear is to stab it. Is a hand, a short range weapon. The shortest range you can get <laughs> is the better in my I book. mean, you never know when you're going to come into <laughs> hand-to-hand contact with the bear. Right. At least I feel like that's how men live. <laughs> that's how they and go about know, their day. And you know, you will be close because, <laughs> I mean, by the time you're close enough to stab them, I mean, their arm reach is... Just as far as yours. <laughs> Is it? Right? I don't, I wouldn't know. <laughs> Not. I haven't studied bearology. <laughs> Me either. So I do know that most bears are more scared of you. Grizzly bears, no. No. Just everybody just like, yeah. Live your life. Mm hmm. Away, like <laughs> not coming into contact it? with, with, I, one of my, the full statement is live your life um, in whatever way keeps you like everybody. from. <laughs> Just the jaws of a bear. <laughs> Just live your life. All right. Well, we're about Speaking to interview. <laughs> How do we transition no, into this? There's no, there's no transition. Okay. Well, we had our next guest on back in 2016. He was one of our first guests. And um, he's a really good friend of my dad. My dad could not speak more highly of him. And we've already recorded our interview with him. That's why I don't know how to transition <laughs> out of this. But um, as you guys know, we've been doing this series on Earth. It was Joy's idea. And you guys have loved Joy's idea. <laughs> Your feedback has been extremely warm. Um, and so we wanted, we wanted to invite Dr. Jason Lyle. That is so cute. I know. People can probably hear little like. Georgia's just like boom, slapping boom, the boom, microphone. Boom. But yeah, but it's, it's really hard. Cute. It's really hard for me to. I'm like basically dangling a big thing in front of her. I know. So I'm kind of yeah. Ex- sorry, Carmen. I know Carmen's like. Stop it. Okay, well that's enough for me. You guys, here's the interview. Enjoy it. All right. So today we have with us, like we said, Dr. Jason Lyle. Dr. Lyle, welcome back with us today. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Will you please, for those listeners who were not with us in the beginning when we first had you here, just um, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. I'm an astrophysicist. I got my PhD from the University of Colorado in Boulder, and I currently uh, head up the Biblical Science Institute, which is a Christian ministry dedicated to showing people how science confirms the Bible and how good science refutes 
uh, secular concepts such as evolution, the billions of years and things of that nature. That is really, really cool. Now, I'm confused because I did Google you. Sorry to be weird. I Googled you <laughs> before we started. <laughs> you know, a couple of months ago, I was talking to my dad and I he was like, I'm going to go look at stars with Jason Lyle. And I thought that when he went to go look at stars with you, he went to Texas. But now if you Google you, you're doing stuff with Answers in Genesis on another end of the country. So where are you now? I'm in Colorado Springs. Okay. And uh, we're, I'm and I'm actually heading up the Biblical Science Institute. We're not affiliated yeah. with Answers in Genesis, but we work together oh, okay. sometimes oh, on cool. projects. I spoke at their uh, Answering Atheists conference last year and had a great time doing it. That's awesome. Well, I'm gonna go correct your Wikipedia page. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, Joy, why don't you start off with what we are? Well, why we have him here today? Um. Well, as you guys know, we've been doing sort of our, we, we've been calling it our Earth series. Um, I know Nikki made us some nice yes. special graphics for when we discuss this topic. Um, but we, so far we've only released one episode, right? And that was just us like talking through this, this topic and questions we had and concerns we had and mm-hmm. maybe, I, yeah, I don't know. It was just us bringing you along because mm-hmm. a lot of times we do this show and we have our our topic and then we have our um st- our conclu- studying our that we did <laughs> yeah for the topic and we know how we feel about it mm-hmm. but this series is a little different because we're kind of learning along with you guys who are listening um but so i wanted to talk to dr lyle you dr lyle you're here um uh and I guess a good place to start based off of something you said just a, f- a few minutes ago is uh, how, mm, how do I want to put this? Okay. We're about to talk about some sciencey things. <laughs> uh-huh. How do Christians, how can Christians know that they can trust science? Because I think you you sort of fall into this like, oh, well, I can only trust what a Christian scientist says. Mm -hmm. But that sort of like if I go to read about the environment, Mm -hmm. it's going to be hard because most of what I'm pulling up is what we would consider, I guess, secular scientists. Mm -hmm. So how how do you know what science is reliable? Is science important when it comes to the environment? (laughs) Um, That's just an easy one for you. (laughs) Yeah, those are yeah, those are very good and very appropriate questions. And I I do recommend that when people investigate science, that they seek out someone that they know has a good Christian worldview, uh, just to double check. That being said, I think we can learn good science from secularists. Uh, I I trust their data. I just don't trust their conclusions. Mm. And the reason I don't trust their conclusions is because I don't trust their worldview. We, We all have a worldview, a way of thinking that affects the interpretations we draw from the evidence that we see around us. And so my secular colleagues already have in their mind, people think that scientists are very objective and very neutral, but the fact is we're all humans and we have a way of thinking about things and that affects the conclusions that we draw. And so uh, I I would suggest just kind of as a a baseline, a base guideline, uh, when it comes to matters of how the universe operates today, I think that uh, secularists and, and creationists like myself largely agree on how the universe works today, because that really is what science is all about. It's about studying the testable, repeatable processes that we observe around us. 
Uh, however, when it comes to what allegedly happened in the distant past, that's where a secularist worldview will cause him or her not to uh, interpret the evidence properly. And so I would say that's where you need to be very cautious about uh, uh, the conclusions that are drawn by by secular scientists. And you want to get someone who has a correct view of history. Because once you talk about what's happening or what happened in the past, you're really not doing science anymore. You're doing history or pseudo-history because you're investigating the past. Science is about how the universe operates today. You can't test or repeat the past. That's not to say you can't apply some uh, scientific procedures to try and make a guess at what happened in the past. That's perfectly appropriate. But I am suggesting that is where a worldview will become very, very important in terms of the conclusions that you draw. So uh, in terms of uh, things that, that are testable today, the fact that the earth is round. Well, I'm, I, believe it or not, there's some people who think that it's flat today. Mm. There's actually a flat earth movement. Yeah. Yes. And uh, it's kind of amazing. They have meetings on this and they fly in airplanes that are based on a round earth, you know, to <laughs> right. get the meanings and so on. Well, that's something that's testable and repeatable today. And I actually have an article on the website on ways you can demonstrate yourself. You can prove that the world's round using science. That's good. Uh, but then when it comes to what allegedly happened millions of years ago, things like that, uh, evolution and, and, and that nature, that's not something that we see happening in the present in terms of molecules becoming people uh, just sort of randomly. That doesn't happen. And so that's where you want to be especially cautious. You want to check with somebody who has a good Christian worldview and who's, who, who has a high view of Scripture. Yeah, that's right. I would imagine your presuppositions when you are coming to study something like the earth, whether or not it's round, are pretty important. What would you say, I'm curious, what is the most important presupposition you can bring um to the table as a Christian scientist? Like, what's the foundation of that? Well, the foundation is the Bible is true. The Bible really is the Word of God, and as such, it is inerrant in the original manuscripts. Yes, we're going to have to do some textual criticism to find out, you know, these slight variations, but they are slight. And so the Bible being the Word of God is our foundation. And in fact, it's the foundation of science. The, the reason that the universe works the way it does the reason that science works is because God has chosen to uphold the universe in a consistent fashion. He's promised to do so in places like Genesis 8.22, where he tells us the cycles of nature will be in the futures. They've been in the past, as long as the earth remains, day and night, seasons, and so on. What, what today we might call laws of, of physics, things that don't change with time, uh, those things we can study scientifically because we have that promise from God. If we didn't, if the universe were just chance, there would be no reason to expect that science would even work. There'd be no reason to expect that our senses are basically reliable. If they had evolved just, you know, by random chance, there'd be no reason to think that they're truthful. There'd be no reason to think that the human mind is capable of rational thought. And that's something that is very important in science. We need to be able to use our senses to observe the universe under the assumption that our senses are reliable. And then we need to be able to reason about what we observe using our brain, assuming our brain is rational, assuming that we can choose the right option. We can consider the various options and choose the best. Now, those things make sense in the Christian worldview because God made our minds. We're made in the image of God. So we have the capacity, at least in a limited sense, to be rational. We don't always use it, but we do have that capacity. <laughs> True. And so science makes sense in the Christian worldview. And so it's, it's very ironic that secularists sometimes will make the claim that science is against the Bible. That's an irrational claim, because if allegedly you could disprove the Bible scientifically, then you'd have no reason to trust in science in the first place. 
And so scientists are relying on borrowed capital. They're relying on Christian presuppositions that the Bible is true, that God upholds the universe in a consistent fashion, that our senses are reliable in order to do science. And then they turn around and argue that, well, but, but, the, but the Bible's not true, in which case they'd have no reason to trust in any scientific conclusion. So that's one of the things that I try to emphasize. That's, that's, one of the, that's really the heart of this ministry, is to show people that uh, contrary to what they've been taught, science is not the enemy of the Bible. Science depends on the Bible in order for it to exist, in order for it to be rational. Right. Well, and I'm glad you you brought up uh, history a few minutes ago, like the study of history, because um, your worldview will also, so it will, um, and it will inform your view of history, which yes. is history is necessary to obtain like certain, or it has been used to obtain certain measurements. Like I know that's like kind of how, like carbon dating, they, you have to guess how much carbon was around at one point in history to kind of date things that way. That's true. Um, and so, I mean, maybe if we could even just talk about that a little bit, like it will, sure. like even if you, so if you believe in evolution, that will even inform certain, uh, certain tests you're using to come to certain conclusions. Absolutely. And so that's why a creationist and an evolutionist can look at exactly the same fossil and draw very different conclusions about what it means, how it got there, how long ago it got there, and so on. Uh, as you mentioned, the assumptions that are involved in either carbon dating or other forms of what we call radiometric dating. A lot of people think carbon dating is what uh, secularists use to get the billions of years or millions of years. It isn't. They use other methods like uranium, lead, potassium, argon. But all of these methods are based on uh, radioactive elements, the elements that will spontaneously change into other elements. Those are called radioactive. And fortunately, only a small fraction of elements are that way. So you're mostly made of the stable kinds of elements. But there are, there are a small fraction that, that will decay. And so uranium will eventually change into lead, given enough time. It's a very slow process. And so the idea is if you have a rock that has some uranium and some lead in it, and we know the rate at which uranium changes into lead, you could extrapolate back and figure out how old the rock was if you knew the amount of uranium and lead that it started with, right. which of course we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and so that's the assumption that, uh, that must be made. Uh, in some cases though, you can give a maximum age of the rock because you could say, well, it can't have less lead than no lead. So that's an absolute upper limit. And a lot of times creationists will do these age estimates where we'll say, well, you can't pin down the true age, but you can at least give an upper limit. Right. Uh, but even then you're making certain assumptions. You're assuming that the rate at which uh, these elements decay is constant. And right. we, know that's, we know that's not true because in the laboratory there are certain kinds of radioactivity we can speed up by a factor of a billion even. The, uh, wow. the rhenium-osmium rhenium reaction can be sped up by a factor of a billion in a laboratory. And um, uh, it, so with carbon dating, for example, carbon dating um, – even if even if something had um, uh, it, 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 the the reasonable maximum amount of C14 in it to begin with, after a million years it would all decay away. And so when you find anything that has C14 in it, you know it has to be thousands of years old. It can't be millions. And unsurprisingly, from a, a creationist point of view, anytime we find remains of organisms, if there's enough collagen left in them, if there's, if there's carbon in there. We find C14 in them. Every one, every fossil huh. we've ever carbon dated gives thousands of years. Every single one, even dinosaur fossils, if they have sufficient carbon in them, you can carbon date them. And that's something that, uh, again, it's not giving a true age estimate. It's giving a maximum right. age estimate. 
that is much less than the secularists require. So science really is on our side. It's it's not only something that is based on the Christian worldview, but when you use it rationally, uh, you find that it gives uh, results that are consistent with the Christian worldview. Well, so and now in terms of like um, like maybe what's considered like the environmentalist issues, like we mm-hmm. obviously there's a lot of science involved in determining that the world is overpopulated and you know I, we obviously don't believe those things but that, right? but you know people aren't just pulling this out of nowhere that the earth is overpopulated yeah. it's informed by their worldview but also like we just discussed like the the science is sort of life like self-producing like if you you are more likely to assume the earth was one way if you're worldview says the the world is overpopulated so that's why we wanted to have you on and basically talk about like like what was the world like and how that informs our view of environmentalism and like where the world is going does that make sense yeah and in fact i would argue only the christian way of thinking can give a balanced answer on on topics such as environmentalism uh, any other worldview tends to go to one extreme or the other. Uh, in the evolutionary worldview, well, you know, humans, we're 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 destroying the earth, and so we, you know, the, the best solution we can do to protect the planet is to off ourselves. Right. And, uh, or or they'll take the other extreme and they'll say, well, no, we're part of nature, and so we should we should allow humans to continue to evolve and do what comes natural. Who cares about the environment? It's the Christian worldview that can give a balanced response. We can say, on the one hand. Uh, human beings, uh, one of our tasks at creation was to care for the creation, to take care of it. And so we, we are, you know, we have a responsibility to take care of the world because God, that's part of the reason God created us. On the other hand, um, we are made in the image of God and human beings are more important than the earth in God's eyes because the earth is an inanimate uh, planet, whereas uh, we human beings are made in God's image. And, you know, God died for human beings, not for, you know, geology, not for rocks. Right. He died for us and rose again. And so it's the Christian that can have a balanced view and can say, yes, we should have some concern about our environment. But on the other hand, we don't want to go to an extreme and think that, you know, that the environment is more important than people. It's certainly not more important than God. Our, our goal is to glorify God, uh, not the earth. And in terms of how much attention we should we should pay to the earth as well, uh, that's something that only the Christian, I would argue, can give a very balanced view. And we keep in mind too, we have we have promises from God right. that the earth is to some extent self-maintaining. Uh, Genesis eight twenty two, God promises those cycles of nature, the seasons, the, the day and night, seed time and harvest will continue mm-hmm. as long as the earth remains. And so, in my mind, that eliminates any kind of catastrophic climate change, uh, climate change that would eliminate seasons. It's not going to happen. We have a promise from God that it won't. And uh, and so it's so important that we have that correct worldview because, you know, billions of dollars are being wasted uh, combating, uh, you know, a sort of alarmism, an alarmism view of climate change that could be better spent uh, elsewhere right. uh, if we had a, a better worldview, really. So it's it's important that we have that Christian worldview so we can have a balanced understanding of our planet. Right. That kind of leads me into the question that I really wanted to ask you, and I don't know how related it is, <laughs> but <laughs> something that really encourages me all the time, um, something that I think about, especially when I'm reading the Psalms and just the way the psalmist talks about earth and creation and how it you know, tells us about God, um, something I consider all the time is just how different earth 
must be from all other planets. Yes. Um, just how special and different it is um, and how it, you know, it just perfectly supports life. And I was hoping you could talk a little bit about that. I would love to just hear some thoughts on how different our planet is from the other planets that we know about and how that reflects, you know, God's plan. Yeah. Well, and you, you hit the nail on the head because it's, it's the earth that was designed for life. Isaiah 45, 18, God formed the earth to be inhabited. And as a result of that, we would expect that the earth might have some properties that are rare or perhaps even totally unique in the universe because uh, life uh, is, is sustained on this planet. And so one of those properties would be, for example, the existence of abundant liquid water. We find liquid water all over the Earth, 71% covering the Earth's surface, and no other planet that we know of has that. And I should mention that the water molecule, H2O, is pretty common in the universe. And so you might think, well, that's not, you know, that's not so uh, extreme. But the fact is, everywhere else in the universe we find H2O. It's either frozen, it's ice, or it's vapor. Uh, liquid water is relatively rare because it requires a fairly narrow range of temperatures. You have to be between zero and 100 degrees Celsius at uh, an atmospheric pressure of one. And if you reduce the atmospheric pressure, then that reduces the uh, the range at which water can be liquid. You know how water boils mm. at a lower temperature if you're up on a mountain, for example. Right. And uh, on Mars, water boils immediately. There, there's no place you can get to on Mars where you, ha where you can have liquid water because the uh, air pressure is too thin. So if, if it's above zero degrees, it'll immediately go from a solid state to vapor. There, there is no liquid state. It's kind of like dry ice on the Earth. And so the fact that you have this planet covered with liquid water, and why is that significant? Because life, as far as we know, requires liquid water. And that's why the secularists are trying to find uh, other planets that have liquid water. <laughs> right. Now, they might find one. Like I said, the molecule's pretty common, but the the range of temperatures and pressures at which you can have liquid water has to be just right. And that leads into another uh, aspect of the Earth. It's at the right distance from the sun to where its temperature will be right to have liquid water. And now there is a range, and they call it the uh, the habitable zone, or sometimes the Goldilocks zone, right? Because if you're too close to the sun, it's too hot, the water boils, you can't have life. If it's too far away, the water remains frozen all the time, and you can't have life. So now there's a range. Right. And uh, sometimes people people who don't know any better will exaggerate that. They'll say, you know, if the Earth was moved just one mile closer yes. to the sun, everything right. would boil. But that's not that's not true. <laughs> uh, it, it's actually a, a larger range than that. It's about, uh, you could move the Earth maybe 5% closer to the sun or as much as 37% farther away and you could still have life. Wow. But, uh, so, but it's, you know, it's a fairly narrow range. Yeah. And the Earth has the right kind of atmosphere, the composition of our atmosphere, nitrogen, but with free oxygen, that's unusual. Again, oxygen is a common atom in the universe, but it's usually bound up in uh, in other molecules. So to have free oxygen in our atmosphere, which we need to breathe, right. uh, Mars, for example, has carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. You can't breathe that, and no. it's too thin anyway. <laughs> and then, of course, other planets like Venus, where the atmosphere is 100 times thicker than that of the Earth and, and a poisonous carbon dioxide and, and sulfuric acid and so on, uh, you're not going to be able to survive on Venus. It makes the, in fact, it generates a, a, a greenhouse effect that makes the surface temperature of Venus 900 degrees Fahrenheit. Ooh. So it's not a place that's designed for life, but Earth is. Earth has a magnetic field that protects us from cosmic radiation, which is damaging to DNA. Mm. Some planets don't have a magnetic field like Venus, mm. and so you'd be out of luck on Venus. Or Mars doesn't really have much of a magnetic field either. And so cosmic radiation is going to be a problem if we ever want to set up a colony on Mars. I don't know how they're going to deal with that, to be perfectly honest with you, because Earth has that special magnetic field. But it's not too strong, 
Jupiter's magnetic field is so strong, it would be a problem mm. for life because it can induce currents in your body. It can induce radiation. And so that's going to be a problem. Mm. Uh, Earth has a large moon that stirs up uh, tides mm. uh, and that stirs up the oceans, keeps them oxidized and keeps them from stagnating and so on. And in fact, Earth's moon is the largest relative to its planet of any of the eight classic planets. Now that Pluto's been kicked out anyway. Right. So, <laughs> Sorry, uh, yeah, so, and that's, that appears to be a design feature. And it's and the moon also stabilizes Earth's axial tilt, and that is a design feature for life too. The tilt of the Earth relative to its orbit around the sun is about 23 and a half degrees. That's what causes seasons. And so you have more daylight hours in the summer and fewer in the winter and so on. And you might say, well, why is that a life feature? Well, if you if you reduced the tilt, you wouldn't have seasons, but it would reduce the habitable zones of the Earth. The, the In other words, the, the polar caps would be much colder. The equator would be much warmer. So it would reduce the the latitudes at which life can thrive. Mm-hmm. And, of course, if you make the Earth's tilt greater, then the seasons become extreme. And so, you know, you might not survive the winter or the summer. And so the even the tilt of the Earth seems like it's optimized for life. So all of these things, and there are many others, but that's just a little taste of some of the, the features of the earth that, that demonstrate that it really is designed for life, as the Bible promises in Isaiah 45, 18. Designed is right. I would think if I didn't believe that God was holding all of this together, all the things you just said would make me very nervous, because what if they changed? You know, what if, yeah. and that would be really scary. That'd be more than any of us could Possibly, we would be well, at its mercy. No and wonder. That's why you have that, uh, you, you know, environmental alarmist, alarmists. Right. That's why yeah. they're. That's why they're there because they don't have that confidence in God that we have. Exactly. Yeah. No wonder everyone's freaked out about the environment because. <sighs> yeah. It could all change at any moment. And what could we possibly do about it? Nothing. Is the sun Not gonna much. explode? Not much. <laughs> Say that again. That was... Is the sun gonna explode? <laughs> <laughs> well, I no, didn't know I was going to uh, ask you that question, but I feel like it's our, a good question you know, to ask. Another aspect of uh, design is our our sun is a is an unusually stable star. Uh, most stars uh, have what are called super flares, where they'll have they'll, they'll release. Basically, the stars have magnetic fields that can snap. Like if you've ever played with magnets and you and you and you push them north pole to north pole, you can push it right, and, but eventually yeah. it'll flip around and snap. Right. And uh, that happens on the sun, too, and that produces a flare. But the sun's flares are very mild uh, compared to other stars where your, your flares are so sufficient, they're so powerful, they could, they could blow away the atmosphere of a planet. Mm-hmm. And so our sun is unusually stable. It doesn't pulsate, some, at least not very much. The sun has this five-minute little pulsation that's very, very faint. Uh, some stars pulsate you know, where they'll, they'll change their brightness by a factor of two. Now, that would kill us all if the sun did that. Wow. And so wow. even our sun is unusually stable. And uh, and no, it's not going to explode. It's it's powered by uh, nuclear fusion in the core, but it's, it's, it's a controlled fusion. It's very, very stable and self-regulating. If it were to get a little um, warmer, the sun would puff out and so on. And so it, it, it kind of it's it's a feedback. It's a negative feedback loop to where it's very stable. But uh, the sun is unusual in terms of its stability. Got a few other things that are interesting, too. The sun is depleted in lithium-7 by a factor of 100. Now, I have no idea <laughs> what the significance of that is. But I, Me neither. I, you know, I just wonder <laughs> if it's something that in the future we'll find that that's something that's needed for its stability or right. for life on Earth. But it's, it's unusual. Other stars don't have that. And so, uh, again, even our, even our solar system is very special. Yeah. Well, I have a question. I don't know if you're going to answer, but... Um, do you think that when the scriptures talk about the new heavens and the new earth, that we're talking about a completely new earth? Uh, 
Well, that's a tricky one. It I, is. I, the way I liken it is um, we're, we're going to live in a resurrected earth. And it's mm-hmm. in, it, it's much in the same way that, you know, are you going to have, when you are when you were resurrected, are you going to have the same body that you have now? And well, uh, kind of, but it's, right. indestru- it's going to be different because it's indestructible. You're never going to die again. On the other hand, if it's not the same body, why do we bury our dead? That's a symbolic, you know, that, that we expect to be resurrected. It's the same body. And I mean, it's not a problem if, if somebody's cremated. God can resurrect a cremated person. That's not an issue. But there is there is continuity and discontinuity between our current body and our resurrected body. And I would say the same is true of the earth. There's continuity and discontinuity between this current earth and the resurrected earth. That would be my best guess anyway, based on the scriptures. Yeah, I like, I think, mm, that's, I think a good that's right. Yeah. Do you want to ask him the last one, the last question that we have for him? What are you saying to me? Sorry, my husband is asking something. <laughs> no, I just said, I heard what he said, and I said, wow. Oh, oh, he said, wow. Yeah, he liked, he liked that answer. <laughs> I thought right. he was, I honestly thought he was, uh, the only reason I stopped the show is because I thought he was going to be like, this is the question I really want you to ask. <laughs> um, but no, I was going to... Um, well, hope, I'm assuming this is okay, but I pitched to Summer that we ask all of our guests in this <laughs> um, series the same question at the end, mm-hmm. which okay. is, are humans destroying the earth? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think we can. I think we have an overestimated sense of our importance and our abilities. Oh, yeah. Uh, re- That's a really God, good God point. Has <laughs> promised, God has promised uh, that the earth you know, will remain seed time and harvest cold winter, summer, and heat will remain as long as the earth does, which I presume means until judgment day. And then there's nothing you can do about that global warming because that's going to be an issue. That's right. By God. So uh, I don't think we are. Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't care about the earth. Like I said, I do, I do think that we ha- we need to have a healthy, balanced view of environmentalism. And so I, I recycle. I th- but but then again, I'm not so con- I'm not all that concerned about it because I know we have a promise from God that the uh, earth will be maintained by him until judgment day. That's right. That's right. Very good. All right. Well, Dr. Lyle, can you tell us again, um, I think you briefly hit on it when you introduced yourself, but if somebody wants to listen to more of your lectures or read your blog, where can they do that? Yeah, check us out at the Biblical Science Institute, and the website's easy. It's biblicalscienceinstitute.com. Lots of great uh, free web articles on that site, some on theology, some on science, some com- you know on a combination of the two. Mm-hmm. And there's also a web store where they can access uh, books and DVDs if they want to hear me speak, because uh, some people think that I speak better than I write, and I don't know, <laughs> but in any case, uh, <laughs> both are available. Whatever you like. And, uh, and, again, and the website itself is free, so biblicalscienceinstitute.com. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. And a a personal thank you to you. You really got my dad into looking at the stars. And as a result, I now have a really nice telescope. (laughs) Ah, Great. (laughs) So, and I, you are to blame for that. So thank you so much for helping us think through these issues. And we had a really good time and I'm sure in the future, we will definitely hope to have you back again. Sounds great. Thank you much. Thank you. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye. I'm going to say the thing that people always say when they come back from an interview that they record yeah. before they're... <laughs> okay. This is a part of the show, by the way. Oh, okay. We're not cutting this. <laughs> We're not. Okay. Because... So here's the thing. Whenever you do an interview and you, like, record the... You take a second. Then what you always end up saying is, well, that was awesome. Yeah, every it's time. It's like the universal... Universal. How do you not do but it? But I don't want to say that. I don't want to say it Because it's generic either. and stupid. So... <laughs> 
what really happened is we just recorded an episode <laughs> with Dr. Lyle and then we stopped for like two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. And then we decided to just keep recording the exit. <laughs> and so here I am telling you that. Here we are. <laughs> Hello. So we just did the interview. Yeah. I thought it was a great. We had him on. That's why we had him on because we knew it would yeah. be good. I don't need to tell you I thought that was good. It happened two minutes ago. There were definitely moments where I looked over at you to see like he was talking about something and I was like, I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> and I looked over at you and you were like, yeah. And then you threw in your two sons and I was like, well, she's tracking with this just fine. I'm going to stay over here. <laughs> when numbers become a part of the conversation, you can just count me. Just so you know, I some of the out. numbers are like, wow. Count me out. He's so or smart. He's, he says things and I can like follow the concept, yeah. but I still have ultimately no idea. Yeah. Like the right. amount he still knows more than us is well, what we're love, trying to say. I I love having guests like that. No matter how much you know, you know about carbon dating or whatever other you know thing he brought up. What is the Earth's magnetic field? Whatever. I love having guests like that because I think it's encouraging, and and we should all have confidence that Christianity and science are not in conflict. Right. Um. They actually. Well, and the best thing he said was that humans like have like too high of a view of their own impact (laughs) on the earth and and that's not even a scientific statement necessarily so yeah you know yeah well i just think it's encouraging to to know that you don't have to be being a christian isn't kind of you know the caveman anti-science thing that people that the media in particular you know wants you to believe that you are you don't have to be afraid you can stand on a christian worldview Um, and Dr. Lyle proves that he kind of, to me, he's right. one of those people that embodies that. Oh yeah. It's a huge encouragement. Yeah. Because, well, I think we do this sometimes as believers, like we can't answer every question to the satisfaction of the unbeliever. Right. And it's like, but the satisfaction of the unbeliever is it's not, not the standard. It's not the standard for your, your worldview. <laughs> right. So sometimes you just right. like, I've had people be like, how do I answer this question? And they like send me their friend's question or whatever. And I'm right. and they tell me like, I responded this way and I go, Oh, you already answered it. It's just not to their satisfaction. Right. Like, um, that, you know, that's ultimately you, that's something that you have to accept. Not to say you don't answer to anyone's satisfaction. Right. You, we still believe in science. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you really don't need to be, um, we've said this before, but not for a long time. Mm. Like you don't have to be ashamed. Right. Science is confirmed. Yeah. Science by the can... Christian worldview. Yeah. Um, so yeah. You don't you don't have to feel like, yeah, like you're a caveman or mm-hmm. you believe in superstition or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's just like don't believe what the world's telling you about it's that. It's a common tactic to label you as anti science if you don't buy all the hysteria or you know, just whatever secular science says is true, you get labeled anti-science if you don't believe in it. And I just think it's nice to remember that um, scripture is not anti-science. You don't have to be anti-science. Um, that's not a thing. That's a lie. And I just love when he kind of touched on that a little bit. So, right. Um, okay. Oh, no, I agree. Is this the part where I get to read you? I well, read- and I'm sorry, but people like, Dr. Lyle fly in the face of that yeah. argument that like indoctrination. Right. Like he is a 100% studied. Yeah. Astrophysicist. Like he's a doctor. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
So yeah. So that was super fun. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to we have more scientists that we're going to be talking we do. to over the next couple of weeks. Um, you guys have had some really interesting messages and questions you've sent when we kind of introduced this topic. Um, and so I am interested to see kind of where that leads um, because you guys have a lot of questions <laughs> and there are things mm. you want us to talk about. So um, on that topic, Joy, I was hoping I could... Um, I could introduce a new spot to you. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. <laughs> I have been diligently mining these for our enjoyment. Okay. Um, so I've been asking you guys, as you know, I always ask you guys to call and leave us voicemails. 470-465-0475. And the funny thing about the voicemails that I get to enjoy that almost no one else gets to enjoy is when Google transcribes your yes. your voicemails. And we've told you about this before, <laughs> but now welcome. You guys. Okay. So I'm going to read you just like three a week because they're hysterical. And <laughs> I have about three a week that make me cry tears of laughter. <laughs> and I have not read these to Joy yet because I just wanted just it to be her authentic reaction. reaction. So before we leave this week, here are my favorite bad voicemail transcriptions of the week. <laughs> Joy, I have three stinky boxes that I want to share with you. <laughs> what are they? I don't know. Okay. Stinky boxes. <laughs> this one really had me. Hey, Santa. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> Love, Lloyd. <laughs> All right. Oh, that's great. And my personal favorite one for the week. I'm going to have a hard time getting through it. <laughs> Better than, hey, Santa, I hate you. Hey, Santa, I hate you. Love, Lloyd. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, I hate you, but love in the salutation. Lloyd is confused. Okay, here you go. <clears throat> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> summer will this is a personality trait of summers just so you guys may not know this about summer um she when something's really really funny to her like she will have the hardest time telling it to you say it. like even if at the end of it she tells you and you're like oh yeah no that's funny <laughs> when something there is a certain level of funny it is like the the ultimate achievement for funny with summer <laughs> If you make her laugh so hard that she can't tell you what it is. <laughs> okay, this person's voicemail transcription started with. <laughs> <laughs> I know a bunch of things <laughs> and you probably won't talk about it. <laughs> that might have been real. That might have been actually a good transcription. No, I listened to the voicemail. It doesn't say that at all. It wasn't even close. <laughs> That is not what that person... Wait, one more time. I know a bunch of things, and you probably won't talk about it. I know a bunch of things. Okay. I love that. Well, I have a whole list of these. I will treat you guys so to them every week. Keep leaving me voicemails so I can keep um, just dying of laughter. When you <laughs> may... you Your voicemail may be misread on our show. <laughs> 
Oh, okay. To the point where you won't know if it's your voicemail. Yeah, you guys have no idea. <laughs> I mean, obviously the Hey Santa, <laughs> I hate you. It's It was Hey Sheologians. Right. I don't know where the Love Lloyd came from. And like the I have three stinky boxes that I want to share with you. It was I have three thinky thoughts that oh. I want to share with you. I know a very common one is high summer enjoy. Like yeah, E-N-J-O-Y because uh-huh. they're saying enjoy. Uh-huh. And then Sheologian sometimes gets transcribed as Sheila. Okay. Like and then something else. But also sometimes Santa. <laughs> <laughs> I know a bunch of things. And you guys you probably, probably won't, won't talk, talk about, about it. it. <laughs> All right, you guys. Well, that is it for this week. Thanks so much for joining us. We're going to talk about some more Earth things next week. And we will see you then. Yeah. Cause you're a sky, cause you're a sky full of stars I'm gonna give you my heart